H.A. You are. You are Jim. This is contextualized. Bam. <laughs> and we think, I don't know, we'll see if you guys hear it, but the uh, workers outside are joining us by the sound of their soul. They're making some noise, but I will tell you, if you don't come to Christ Community until the Lord's Day, even between now and then, it's going to look amazing. I mean, this sidewalk, finally. Yeah, it, finally. it's beautiful. We used to have a seismograph machine parked outside while they destroyed the old sidewalk. Yeah. And now they are putting pavers down, and they look yeah. really good. Yeah, yeah, really good-looking pavers. It looks like... sweet design. Yeah, the design's like good. Like some honeycomb, some uh, herringbone. Herringbone, yeah. And, and even the brick that they brought in, it's got this antique look to it. Yeah. Super cool. Yeah. Yeah, so we're thankful. This is called plundering the Egyptians because <laughs> our... Our city is investing hundreds of thousands of dollars into the entrance to our building. If you look at it that way. Uh, it's it's true. Yeah. Follow the yellow brick road. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to have the best pavers in the city right outside of our church. They're from Ohio. So, I talked to one of the guys. The He's guys from are, Cleveland. Yeah. yeah. They just I travel asked, around doing this? Yeah. This. Yeah. That's why they waited to do a bunch of them at a time. They come in as a group. Yeah. And I told him thanks and how good it looked. And he just said, yeah. And I asked if it's warmer here than there. And he actually said... Yes, no, actually, it's been mild there. <laughs> but the mornings are still pretty cold lately. Yeah. So yeah. they start yeah. with all their layers right. on, and yeah. then they end Multiple up in layers. t-shirts by the yeah. time the afternoon hits. Yeah. So. yeah. But it looks awesome. Man. So this episode brought to you by Dudes from Cleveland. That's right. Laying pavers. <laughs> <laughs> the Cleveland pavers. It's good. Yeah. Um, well, the other thing we're going to talk about is uh, this Sunday we have seven brothers who will be installed two as elders and five as deacons yeah and so it's a it's a big deal for our church last time we did it was when you were installed as a ruling elder would have been four years ago now well that's last time we had elders but we've had we had oh, we've we had, had deacons had, since had then deacons thank you for the reminder yeah two years ago two years ago maybe something like that this is awesome though yeah what a what a neat thing um Needed right now for where we are as a body and evidence of the provision of God yeah. with regards to the unique gifts of these guys. So I was at the deacon meeting last Monday night mm-hmm. and four of the five new guys were able to come as visitors, even though they're be ordained this Sunday. And just to see their listening and processing and the experiences they have in the local church or the experiences they have in their own vocational training. Yeah. There's just a lot of wisdom. Yeah. And I'm really excited about that. I yeah. It's going to be really helpful. Yeah. And then the two brothers that are going to be... Transitioning from deacon to elder, which, by the way, it goes, we probably should say it, (laughs) in our church government structure, as well as what we believe the Bible teaches, a deacon role is not a stair step up to an elder role. It's not like a junior elder or anything like that. No, not at all. They're different callings. But it is not abnormal sometimes to see an individual installed as a deacon to serve in a certain way in that serving ministry, which is really the best way for a person to be a leader and a servant, right? Um to then at some point potentially be nominated as well as it confirmed that they have the gifts and a sense of call to the office of elder. Yeah. So Josh Beatty and Mike Renault are both going to end up transitioning out of serving as current mm-hmm. deacons to serve as elders. Mm-hmm. And then we've got five new deacons, which yeah. is great. Yeah, and I think one thing that shows or can show is that the, uh, really the, the character required for each of these offices is is more or less the same. There's there's some some gifting difference between an elder and a deacon but really both are offices that they're, they're for men of faith uh, right men who are walking with the lord um, 
right, men who are really ministering to their families, um, you know, in, in their homes, uh, but men that the, the church has seen um, serve and lead and, uh, you know, elders are called to be able to teach. Uh, that's, that's one of the, the key differences there. Um, but, you know, both Josh and Michael, it's, it's kind of interesting uh, or fitting, I guess, Josh has been teaching our uh, fourth and fifth graders every week in between services. Mike Renault for, I don't know, the last two years has been teaching alongside Curtis Fulbright, the uh, community group between services. So both these guys have been been teaching teaching roles. Uh, And, uh, you know, we we see see their gifts in that. So So if you're listening, the way it'll go on Sunday, it's worth saying, we will have the ordination of these these men in the second service. Yeah. And... By the way we'll do it, we'll do it after the Lord's Supper in the second service. But if these guys are able to come, we're asking them to show up prior to the end of the first service, and they'll come up and we'll pray for them right before the benediction in the first service. Just pray for them, want everybody to see who they are, and we'll have a time of prayer briefly for them at the end of the first service. So it will be a second service only ordination. We're not going to do two ordinations just for the symbolism of their presence in both services. <laughs> yeah. There will only be one. Well, but, kind of like we don't do two baptisms. Right. Yeah. Uh, and I think yeah. it's worth saying it'll probably be pretty crowded in the second service as it's been... I say we're doing it in the second because we don't get that many people there and we're trying to get more... No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. No, second service is, is packed out. Loaded. So. We, we're fire code capacity for most of the last month now yeah. in the second service. So, And we did widen the aisles. AJ and I yeah. went ahead and... Put our backs yeah. into moving the pews. Well, it was heavy <laughs> stuff. Uh, we moved the pews. We're not going to change much of any of the way we do things, but we did feel like it's gotten crowded enough. Yeah. We have to have wide enough aisles for people to go up and down. So yeah. hopefully you'll notice some small changes in yeah. the room that'll make for flow being easy. But it should be crowded, so be prepared for that. Yeah, yeah. And that's awesome. What a cool thing yep. to experience and be yeah. thankful for. Yep, exciting Sunday. Well, with that, let's jump into Genesis. Um so last week, we began chapter 12, really, with the Abram narrative, uh, which is going to take the next, I don't know, quite a few weeks. And, uh, you know, I think, it, maybe this is just me, but uh, I think this week and next week, what we look at at the end of 12 through chapter 14, I think is like the lesser the lesser known portion of Abram's narrative. Sure. Um and you know maybe that's not true for everybody, but uh, there, he's just he's got lots of such well known things that these these may not be as, as so. But anyways, when we we're going to pick it up in twelve ten, and before this, uh, if you recall, right, God has called Abram to leave his country, leave his kindred, leave his father's house, go to the land that he will show him, and that's what Abram does. He's seventy five years old. What we read in twelve four, uh, he leaves Haran, he comes to the land of Shechem. Uh, sorry, to the land of Canaan. Uh, he comes to Shechem, and he builds an altar uh, there between Bethel and Ai. And that's uh, and then at the very end, uh, Abram journeyed on, still going toward the Negev. So then in 1210, there is a famine. There's a famine in Canaan, and Abram goes down to Egypt uh, because the famine was so severe. And uh, so really most, most of, well, the end of 12 takes place in Egypt, uh, but while he's in Egypt, or as they're going to Egypt, Abram does, uh, I, I guess this part is kind of well known about him, but it's it's interesting. Um, he tells his wife, Sarai. Yeah, this is such a conundrum. Right. <laughs> You're a, a beautiful woman, and when the Egyptians see you, um, they will kill me. Uh, because, 
that they want you as their wife, you know, presumably. Can, can I just go ahead and throw this out there? This man has so much faith to obey and go, but he's immediately like, <laughs> let me, I can totally relate to yeah, this. Like, yeah. let me try to control the outcome of this because yeah. of my faith that God will protect all of us where he's called us to go. It's going to actually stop short of me even believing my wife is safe as yeah. she comes with me. Yeah. Like, so this traveling to the place God sent them was not 100% safe in the sense of, easy peasy Mm -hmm. and comfortable. Right. But obviously there's even a sense in which the morals and the integrity and the purity of the people among whom he's going to travel or going to land, he doesn't trust them at all. Yeah. So there's fear here for you. Yeah. I think that's an important thing to see. Absolutely. Fear that actually would challenge the very faith by which he obeyed God and went in the first place. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that is helpful because we see that throughout the rest of Abram's narrative too, is there's these moments of great faith. And then these moments where he seems to take that faith in his own hands yeah. Um, instead. Not unlike almost every other character in the right. Bible that's not Jesus. Right, right. And us. And so, you too, not just me. Yeah, yeah. And I, us. I, I too struggle with that. Uh, <laughs> uh, so 13, you know, say you're my sister, uh, that it would go well. So that's what they do, right? The Egyptians saw that she was beautiful. I mean, Abram wasn't wrong about that. Uh, the princes of Pharaoh saw her. They praised her Pharaoh, and she was taken into Pharaoh's house. And uh, for her sake, Pharaoh dealt well with Abram uh, because he thinks that's her brother. Gave him uh, He had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male servants, female servants, female donkeys, and camels. But then the Lord intervenes. Verse 17, the Lord afflicts Pharaoh and his house with great plagues. Interesting word. Especially when it's only like seven words removed from the word, the name Pharaoh. Yeah. Plagues come upon Pharaoh, and it's not because of Moses. It's not even the same Pharaoh it's, for it's that before. matter. But yeah, still, right. you have you have this infliction because the Lord is going to protect His people. Yeah. Yeah. And so, I mean, it is interesting, maybe even to think about this from Sarah's perspective, that her husband doesn't fulfill his role of protection of her um, kind of does this. She's taken into Pharaoh's house, but then the Lord is the one who intervenes in really this supernatural, unbelievable way. And somehow through this, I mean, we're not told all the details, but somehow Pharaoh figures out why this is, right? He comes to Abram and says, why have you done this to me? Why didn't you tell me she was your wife? Why'd you say she was my sister? Um, Take her, go. So he, you know, the Lord makes it clear through the plagues and somehow reveals it to him. Uh, what the issue is here. There's a lot not mentioned in this scene. I wish was there. It would be helpful if it was there. Like what? Well, like Abram saying to the Lord, I forgive me for my lack of faith yeah. in you. Because yeah. this is one of those times where you say, well, he lied. Yeah. Is this a sin right. to have lied? Did he not lie? I mean, with an, with a good desire in his heart to protect yeah. his wife. Personally, I don't know where you lean on that. But I would say that it's a sin, what he does. Well, I, it's a faithless act. Yeah, and what I would say, it's, it's, it's self-protection, though. Not not protection of her because true right he says then they'll kill oh. me oh gosh you know and let you live I mean she would be husbandless I guess you know there's that aspect but yeah what a fascinating thing yeah yeah I mean it, it I don't yeah I don't have any reason to think that Abram's in the right here you no know, it's I, like, I like you right yeah if you hear knocking in the building we're also getting water <laughs> water is moving <laughs> to our new refrigerator on the third floor yeah. so we can have fresh water when you come visit us. Through a filter yeah. in a fridge yeah. that's cold, but there may be banging through this podcast. <laughs> um, uh, well, go ahead. 
I was going to say. I have you a thought. Go, you go. I was going to... Sarai's description as being so beautiful that a- mm-hmm. Abram's afraid for him. He's going to protect himself. He's afraid for her distrust of the Egyptians. It does make me think of the reference in um, Second uh, First Peter. Okay. Where wives are called to not adorn themselves with outward beauty. Uh-huh. And let me just read it to you. So it's from First Peter 3 because Sarah is mentioned. So let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious, for this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, by submitting to her husband as Sarah obeyed Abram, calling him Lord. And so it's an interesting thought of where Peter's giving a word to the women, and the wives particularly, of the New Testament church to say, don't don't be consumed with outward beauty. Mm-hmm. I, there's nowhere in First Peter 3 that we should get the idea she wasn't beautiful. In fact, right. the Bible tells us she was stunningly beautiful, right. Beautiful to Abram, but also beautiful to the Egyptians who yeah. saw her. Yeah. And so this thought that can often creep in, well, you know, focus on something that's not really beauty. Focus on your heart. Yeah. External beauty still really matters. Now, actually, you have the New Testament saying she was externally beautiful. Yeah. She was stunningly beautiful. Right. But give yourself to not living in fear and to honoring your husband, who should be then yeah. submitting to the Lord's protection of you. Yeah. And so you have a breakdown here with that's Abram, I think. Yeah. Yeah. But the New Testament's reference of Sarah's submission to go wherever her husband said yeah. is an interesting picture of what God defines as beauty. And right. so just thought I'd bring that out because in chapter 12, her external beauty is what's mentioned in the text. Uh-huh. In 1 Peter 3, her internal, internal. beauty yeah. is what's pointed to in the New Testament. Yeah. I mean, that, that is um, fascinating and I mean, it helps us get a glimpse of how blessed Abram was. Yeah. That this was his wife who blessed externally beautiful and internally, yeah. her heart seems... Well, because I think you're bringing up the fact that he didn't protect her. He's trying to protect right. himself. And so then the word that Peter gives to wives is don't live with fear. Yeah, yeah. Trust the right. Lord right. by living with his internal beauty and right. gentleness and humility. So there must be a sense in which a- Abram's actions caused Sarah to very likely live with fear. Yeah, yeah. And but it, that's a pretty fearful situation. Definitely, right? yeah. You come to a new land and the king takes you into his house. Yep. So, um, well, the end of this chapter ends with Pharaoh giving his men orders, and they sent him and his wife away with all that he had. So, everyone's going to leave Egypt. But before we jump to 13, um, I remember when we were in my Genesis to, what I guess it was Genesis to Deuteronomy class in seminary, our professor, uh, he, he basically said, well, you know, you, you all know the story, God's people, have to, there's a famine in the land, and so they have to go down to Egypt, and then... Uh, God's going to really rescue them from Egypt by visiting Pharaoh with plagues. And the people are going to go out with with a lot of stuff. I'm like, yeah, we know that story. And we're like, nobody's thinking of Genesis 12. It's Joseph. Right, when you describe that. Of, right? We're thinking of like Joseph into the Exodus. Yeah, right? and, yeah, totally. Um, and it's just fascinating. I mean, the, again, the, the words here are not accidental. It's a famine that sends them there, and it's plagues that release them from there. And um, again, we've we've said this multiple times at this point, but right, the people are receiving, or Moses is writing this to the people while they're on the brink of going into the promised land, right after they've been rescued from Egypt. And you know, God has done this same story again, right? He he did this same story with Abram, their father in the faith, and now he's doing that with them as they're getting ready to go into the land, which is where chapter thirteen takes us. Is Abram goes back to the promised land. And so it's just fascinating to see. And even, and we, we can go further that, 
um, right? Hosea in his prophecy is going to mention out of Egypt, I called my son, which Matthew's going to quote and apply that to the God's really talking about Jesus and Jesus. We don't get many stories about him in his early life, but he goes down to Egypt and comes out of Egypt. So you got, so, you got repeated patterns yeah. that we see over and over. If they're all pointing, I think I'm interpreting what you're saying. Go for it. Yeah. We have repeated things that go on. And sometimes it's the small little pericopes we're not as familiar with. We're familiar with the big Joseph story, right? But even so, it's all pointing to Christ being the fulfillment of the narrative. Yeah. I think it was in our last Simeon Trust preaching workshop, but just this thought of, one of them anyway, uh, just the fulfillment of the gospel promises and the prophecies as well as just the, the historical redemptive narrative. Uh-huh. It's it's like the foothills in front of the mountains. Yeah. Oftentimes you, you, you go over this hill and you gotta, gotta, you're not you're not on the other side yet. You're still going up the next one, and sometimes that's the way these repetitions cause us to feel. It's like, oh, haven't we been here before? Yeah. Oh, right. it's the same story in a bigger way. Right. Yeah. Oh, we're going over another mountain, you know. And then ultimately, in the end, it's wait a second. All these yeah. things are pointed how God's going to rescue us in Christ. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty amazing. It's kind of a, a crescendoing narrative. Yeah. Um, right. Yeah. So um, that gets us into chapter 13, though. So 13, Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife, all that he had, and Lot. So Lot's been tagging along with him. But they uh, take all their stuff and they go. Now we do read in verse 2, Abram was very rich in livestock, in silver, and in gold. Uh, He goes uh, on from the Negev as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning, between Bethel and Ai, where he had made the altar at the first. And again, that was what we looked at last week yeah, so when in chapter first, 12 verse 8 yeah so when he there. first gets to the land that's where he goes and he builds an altar he's, he's come back to that place after going to egypt and so um now lot has a bunch of stuff abram has a bunch of stuff and turns out that there's going to be strife between um really it says strife between the herdsmen of them right between the the workers the but then at the, the end of, of chapter of verse seven at the time the canaanites and the parasites were dwelling in the land also like yeah. it's getting crowded yeah yeah you know and i just came from a lunch with someone and we talked talked again about growing pains there's just a lot of parts of this church for example we're like oh we should think through that oh we should have thought through that a while ago <laughs> Um, we are thinking yeah. through that, but we've not found a satisfactory solution. Uh-huh. You know, growing uh-huh. pains can take yeah. something that's a blessing. Yeah. And if we interpret it in a certain way, it's not a blessing. Make it's it a real trial. Difficulty. Yeah. And that's, as soon yeah. as I read it right before we started, I'm like, there are growing pains as Abram and all of his blessed wealth and accumulated yeah. you know, family and stuff. Yeah. It just, it's crowded with lots. Yeah. Yeah. And there's strife. It's, right. These are growing pains. And so Abram talks a lot, and he says, let's not have all this conflict between you and me and between my workers and your workers. We're, we're family. Right? We're, we're kinsmen. This shouldn't be this way. And so he says, you, you take whichever way you want to go. You take some land, and I'll go the opposite way. And so he lets Lot choose. Now Lot looks at the Jordan Valley, and uh, says, well, it's, it's an interesting description here in verse 10. He saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt in the direction of Zoar. And so, um, you know, Lot's going to choose the Jordan Valley. Uh, Abram's going to settle on the land of Canaan. Uh, and then we do get kind of this, this foreshadowing. We're not there yet, but uh, Lot is going to settle among the cities of the valley and move his tent as far as Sodom. And we get this little comment that, again, we know what's coming. We're not there yet. Now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. But... 
That's where Lot is, and Abram goes to the west, to the, to the land of Canaan. This is not but a gut thought. Okay. So, say, Jim, that's just moralizing or something. <laughs> We've had people lately visiting Christ community. Yeah. From further away, potentially moving to the area, whatever. I'm so encouraged when people say, We've decided to go about it in a different way this time if they've moved before. We're looking for a church home and a faith community, yeah. and we want to settle our uh-huh. family in proximity to that place. Uh-huh. And it's so encouraging to me. Yeah. Like, that is so mature-wise. I understand I've been struck that. by that as well. Yeah, yeah. so I, it seems like it's the opposite of this. Uh-huh. Lot looks out and says, it's all green. Yeah. Now, I'm sure if I was thinking like Lot, I'd be like, check out the hills of East Tennessee I'll go that direction. You know, I want to be there. Um, And and so, I mean, I don't know if you can blame him for what might sound self. Abram gives him the option. He takes his option, but it doesn't seem to either have been known by him or considered at all as important by him that there's a lot of evil people in the cities in that area. Yeah. You're not the only one who decided to settle there because it looked like a place to get rich quickly. Yeah. Good garden, bad neighbors. Exactly. You take your pick. What's going to be your priority? And I've just personally been blessed when people have said, we're going to start with a faith community that God will use to hold us that we can serve alongside, and then we'll choose where to live. Man, that's awesome. Some people don't get that freedom. Lot had that, but it just strikes me as he probably put down on his priority pile the spiritual maturity and the righteousness and the holiness of the place I'm going. Yeah, yeah. And and, and we don't want to get there yet, but just to tease forming that decision is going to be a very costly decision. Yeah. I mean, it's a, a massive decision. And I think that the, what makes me think of it is the way that verse 13 just reads. It's just like, as you said, it's just like this added little note. Yep. And there was a city with very wicked people. They were great sinners against the yeah. Lord. Like, yeah. Just so we know. Yeah. It's not going to end well. Yeah. Yeah. Man. So, I'll, I'll, Interesting thought here. So this isn't in this text exactly, but um, it's just what I happened to be reading earlier this week um, was in Deuteronomy. And there, so so later in the narrative, uh, Moses is talking about right the um, where the land that God has brought his people to. Now, it's the same land that Abram is going to here in contrast to Lot. And the way that Moses describes it, this is somewhere early in Deuteronomy, he says it's not like Egypt that's, watered by the Nile and watered by all these, um, like irrigation. Um, the, the land, the promised land is watered by the rain of God. Uh, and, and then he connects that, like right after he says that, he basically says, if, if you follow God, God will bless you with rain and he'll, you'll have what you need. If you disobey God and, and break covenant, then God will punish you with a drought and you won't have stuff. And so it's just interesting to see this early on that, Right, Lot goes to a place that's going to be a little bit more well watered, uh, not quite like the Nile, but you know, somewhat that way. But Abram's going to go to this land that is so absolutely dependent upon the weather, which is really just saying absolutely dependent upon the Lord. That's beautiful and His provision. So. Well, and and the timing then of the narrative, which speaks to what you're saying there in verse 14, it's after Abram relinquishes his right to choose. He mm-hmm. doesn't play the authority card. Yeah. He says to his nephew. Hey, man. Take your pick. You choose. Because I trust God's going to provide for me. Not yeah. enough to act like my wife's my wife, but that's another story. <laughs> but but then he he has the Lord intersect him right here in verse 14. Yeah. The Lord says to Abram, look up. Yeah. Go ahead and look. Look out. 
everywhere you can see, northward and southward, eastward. Like, go ahead and look. Look at everything, Abram. All the land I see I will give you and your offspring forever. Yeah. There's more that's said there. Maybe we can go deeper in a second. But just to me, the fact that the Lord allows Abram to make his selection, his choice, which yeah. he ultimately trusts God to to lead Lot to make whatever choice Lot's going to make. He just he basically says, I'm good with whatever. Yeah. I'm good with whatever. Yeah. That's an amazing picture of faith. Because yeah. we know he didn't waver with regards to the promises of God. We know he had momentary times of not trusting fully. But right. This is such an amazing scene that it's at this point the Lord says, okay, now, buddy, it's yeah. all yours. Yeah. And I'm going to be faithful. Yeah. That's yeah. awesome. And if we if we trace this back to the beginning of 12, right, 12, God's, God's words to Abram in 12 were, leave and go to the land that I will show you. And then right, he makes his promises. Well, when when Abram gets there back in 12, 7, the Lord appears to him and says, to your offspring, I will give this land. So he, he confirms it, right? He says, I'm going to show you the land. He gets there, he appears to him, says, this is it. And then Abram goes down to Egypt because there was a famine. He comes back, and now, at this point again, God appears to him, speaks to him, and says, you know, look look every which way. Uh, verse 17, he says, arise, walk through the length and breadth. I'm going to give it to you. It's going to be for your offspring forever. In fact, verse 16, I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth. Right? If, if you can count the dust, then you can count your children. Um, and so... Which means you can't. Right. <laughs> it's innumerable. Um, and it, I guess it's just, it's making me think of, I mean, this is three times in two chapters um, that Abram is being told, I'm going to give you this land. I'm going to give you this land. I mean, like God just keeps reminding him well, and, and about that. Maybe some of our listeners are familiar with the Big Picture Story Bible, other, mm-hmm. other children's Bibles that will do a good biblical theology. But ultimately the promises are... The Lord's presence in his place with his people. Yeah. I mean, you know, just to alliterate it. And yep. you just have yep. the Lord proving it over and over already. Yeah. And you ha- you have that here. So, and it's not surprised then that Abram worships at the end of the chapter. Yeah. He builds an altar. Yeah. Just like he did it after he left Ur the first time. Yeah. Yeah. Built an altar and worshiped the Lord. So, and he, you know, back in 12.6, he comes in, in Shechem to the Oaks of Mora here at the end of 13, settled by the Oaks of Mamre, which are Hebron. And there he built an altar to the Lord. So, uh, right, this uh, God continues to make his presence known. He continues to reiterate his promises. And Abram continues to um, really make these little sanctuaries, right, these little altars where God will be worshipped um, in, in a way that's pleasing to him. Um, let me, uh, we could have read this last week, but let me just read it today. Um, in Hebrews 11, right, there, there's all sorts of men who are mentioned there, but let me just read this section about Abraham that that, that author gives us. It says, by faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. He went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob with heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. And he keeps going by faith. Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age since she considered him faithful who had promised. Um, Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven 
and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. So. I'm, I'm as, I mean, obviously we know that from Galatians and other places, Romans, we're children of Abraham by faith. Yeah. And so we know that the promise is not just the literal land beyond the Jordan and right. Canaan. We know it's going to point to this land, yeah. a new heavens and a new earth where all is made right and where we have the peace and we're yeah. amidst the presence of God as the people of God. Yeah. So you, you can, I can't even read this, think about it without that covenantal framework that tells me <laughs> don't fail to include yourself in this promise if yeah. you have faith. Like don't yeah. just get swept up and say, ah, my life's different than Abraham. So try this out. I'll make sure you tell me if you think this is a, is fair application. We have a tendency to look out over the land in our life, and I look out these windows, or maybe we're at our house, and we're, we're the people of God, and it's so easy to say, oh, if I could just go back and make that decision differently, I would have. Mm. I, and, and there's a part of me that says, be, Abraham could have said, should not have let Lot pick the good land. Not yeah. saying he ever did that, but like, oh, I gave someone else that decision. I wish I would have kept it for myself. Oh, I should have. We second guess every part of this daily life in which we live. And I think that one of my takeaways, and I'm curious what your thought is, if I'm a child of Abraham by faith, if I'm a child of God who trusts in the provision of God, which is ultimately for our salvation, Mm -hmm. then at any time, if I come up, I look, it's almost like I can hear the promise of God saying, go ahead, walk this life Mm -hmm. in the sphere of influence I've given you. Touch the ground. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm going to give you a new heavens and a new earth that's better than you could ask or imagine. Trust me. And I think the challenge we have in our day, and this is what I'm confronting, is the tendency to complain or wish we would have just made a different decision and not really to trust that where I am right now, if I have faith with Abraham, I'm in a good place to experience the blessing of God now that points to the greater fulfillment of all his promises. I don't know. is Is that stretching it too far? I don't think so. I look out from Joe Hill Drive and I say... This place, I don't want to second guess how we got here. And I certainly on dark days don't want to wonder why in the world yeah. I made this decision and that decision and this decision yeah. and God forgot about us. Yeah. No, we have the faith of Abraham. Right. Yeah, well, I, I think absolutely. And um, I mean, there's only one person who could look back without regret in his life. Yeah. You know, like without like things to be regretted. Yeah. It might be a better yeah. way to say that. And, um, I mean, even this chapter where they were like, all we've looked at today, like, man, he could totally regret what he did in Egypt. But, um, interestingly, his sending his wife or kind of functionally sending his wife into Pharaoh's house is what made Pharaoh mad and actually made Pharaoh send him away. Yeah. Like, (laughs) which was ultimately God fulfilling his promise to lead him to Canaan. (laughs) Like, it's kind of like, uh, you know, God is at work. And it's, it's what Joseph says at the end of the story, right? God meant this for good. Uh, well, even though Abram doesn't seem to mean it for good to begin with. So this morning I heard an Andrew Peterson song uh, while running. And I was going to actually, in my, it might be my first taped up quote on my wall in my new office. But it was to the effect of, um, not all who wander are lost. Mm-hmm. For every path I take is in the palm of your hand. Hmm. Something hmm. like that. i got to yeah. make sure I get the lyrics right. Yeah. But, that makes me think of this where, Abram, you ended up where you ended up, but even you're doing that which was not faith-filled yeah. to tell Sarai to act as your sister right. was what God ultimately used to bring to this place. Yeah. And so for Jim, for AJ, look out, look north, south, east, west, up, down, in. No matter yeah. where you look right now, if you're a child of Abraham by faith, 
trusting in the God who leads, there's a new heavens and a new earth waiting for you, and you should serve him right where he's placed you to yeah. experience the bounty of his provision. Yeah. I think that's a takeaway we can, we can have from this. Yeah, that's absolutely. And um, let me just add this thought. So before you started on that, I was looking at it a little bit more at Hebrews too. That um, it's just it's helpful. It's helpful to have the New Testament give commentary, interpretation, right, application of the Old Testament for us to make sure that we're understanding the Old Testament rightly. And uh, you know, it can be easy to think that well, yeah, like Abraham is looking for a city in a land, right? But then the yeah. author of Hebrews says, no, he's, no, he he's looking for more than that. Um, not not less than that, but actually more than that. And he's looking for. And it's interesting, right, what we read, that um, the city whose designer and builder is God, if you take that phrase and, and put it back on what we've been reading, I mean, it's it's right before the Abram narrative where we read about the Tower of Babel in a city built and designed by men. And then it goes into Abram's narrative. And so, like, we have man's city, but then we have this other man who's trusting God and seeking God's city. But then if we go forward from Hebrews 11 into Hebrews 12... He tells us, uh, you, talking to believers, you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, to the heavenly Jerusalem. And so... Have come. Yeah. Like, it's, it's, it's we're there. Yeah. It's the now and the not yet. Like, but, but mm. I guess what, what it makes me think, it's, it's helpful for me, is that to be a child of Abraham means that we receive the promises given to Abraham, but it also means that we're called to a faith like Abraham. Yeah. Right. And absolutely. And Abraham, right? We, I can relate to him and his wrestling, right? Like we talked about earlier. But like, man, like he he believed God, and he he understood that God was promising more than what may have it looked like on the surface. Yes. That's all. I mean, that's that's all I need to hear. You know? That's where I'm. You're giving me kind of a, a hard, concrete application connected to what I was saying earlier. That there's more than what I'm experiencing. That's part of the promise. Yeah. But what I'm experiencing is part of the promise. Yeah, yeah. It's just not the fullness of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that that needs to be reminded. I want every husband and father to remind each other, and every wife and mother, and all of our intergenerational individual, you know, family at the church here, just remind each other. There's more. There's more than what you see your with your eyes. Yeah. But yeah. you know what? What you see with your eyes is also something that God has orchestrated because He's faithful. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. This is great. Did we say it would be fun to get to Genesis 12 and 13, we 14, did. and 15? We did. I'm going to sink our teeth into we this, did. man. Chew man. on this stew. Well, and I mean, 14, man, it's just going to keep rolling here. Yeah. Uh, this next chapter. So, well, I think, I mean, until then, right, go walk in the faith that Abraham has. In, because we have the same God that Abraham has, right? It's beautiful. And when you come to church on Sunday... You might just naturally want to walk in the side entrance because the brick's going to feel so great. <laughs> the bricks that have a foundation uh, laid by man. I don't know. I was trying to, <laughs> trying to make that work. Have a great week. <laughs>